Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, Part 3. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, Coffee Club social media website went down last week. The entire site suffered from a 502 bad gateway error. This is an error that the owner-author of the site must fix. It is not an error we have control of. This error was fixed as of our check on this site. Our check was on Wednesday, January 11, 2023. Our show notes for Episode 2 were also posted on Wednesday, January 11. We apologize for any issues that this outage may have troubled people. This was nonetheless an error only the site owner, author, has the ability to fix. We apologize for any issues this may have caused you. Please enjoy our continued social media presence on Coffee Club. Our last episode was The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, Part 2, posted on January 8th. We found deeper meaning in just three verses. We noted, it should be understood that speaking in tongues is not new. Twice before, there has been talk of speaking in a language without having learned it. Adam and Eve are the first to speak a language without having learned it. The second case is the confusion of languages that God gave on the occasion of the building of the Tower of Babel. From King Comments, Commentary on the Whole Bible. Now, if confusion is of the devil, as some say it is, how can you justify that in the case of the confusion at the Tower of Babel? Our Bibles tell us that God was the author of this confusion at the Tower of Babel, not only of languages, but the confusion that was also there in the minds of the people. Note, in any case, the amazement is great. The poor handful of illiterate disciples, recognized as coming from the backward Galilee, emerges from the obscurity and oblivion into the open and gives testimony with irresistible force in languages they have not learned. From King Comments Commentary on the Whole Bible. We noted, a crowd gathered and was in confusion. Why? Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Notice the source of confusion. These people, endowed by the Holy Spirit, did not speak other languages than their own. Yet, to find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, the Holy Spirit, and the Day of Pentecost, Part 2. 
This week, our study is The Holy Spirit and the Day of Pentecost, Part 3. Our scripture is found in the book of Acts, Chapter 2. Our scripture reads, And how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, and Paphilia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds God has done. All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying, They are drunk on new wine. From the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. First, my apologies for not being able to pronounce some of these words correctly. I'm sure I did my best, but I cannot say that they were pronounced correctly. Depending on how you count, there are either 13 different people groups or 17 people groups in which the disciples, men of crude speech at best, are now flawlessly speaking in other unlearned tongues not their own by birth or by teaching. As I previously stated, notice verse 12 in this week's passage. It reads, All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? Verse 8 says virtually the same thing. Notice, And how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Given that this issue of tongues is a matter of subject in verses 5 through 13, it is obvious that this is greatly important. To learn more, let us look into these verses deeper. How hear we every man in our own tongue? Some have supposed from this that the miracle was not so much wrought on the disciples as on the hearers imagining that, although the disciples spoke their own tongue, yet every man so understood what was spoken as if it had been spoken in the language in which he was born. Though this is by no means so likely as the opinion which states that the disciples themselves spoke all these different languages, yet the miracle is the same, howsoever it be taken for it must require as much of the miraculous power of God to enable an Arab to understand a Galilean, as to enable a Galilean to speak Arabic, but that the gift of tongues was actually given to the apostles. We have the fullest proof, as we find particular ordinances laid down by those very apostles for the regulation of the exercise of this gift. From Adam Clark's Commentary and Critical Notes on the Bible We can see here 
with any form of reasonable thought that this gift of tongues could have worked equally in the one who hears as the one who speaks. However, Adam Clark ends with this definite thought, that the gift of tongues was actually given to the apostles, we have the fullest proof, as we find particular ordinances laid down by those very apostles for the regulation of the exercise of this gift. We learn further, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Not that they spoke one language and different languages were heard, but the apostles spoke with different languages, for otherwise the miracle would have been in the hearers, whereas it really is in the speakers. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes. I think it is very clear. The apostles spoke with different tongues that they had not even learned. Many sources speak of this being the absolute case. Clearly, plainly, they were able to speak with all the correct nuances found in each language that makes learning correct pronunciation difficult for those not from any particular area that a different language is based in. For instance, anyone being American by birth and especially from areas of America that have their own sound when they pronounce words, would not sound like someone who speaks French because correct pronunciation would be difficult at best. Not that they cannot speak French, they just cannot speak it like a Frenchman does for obvious linguistic reasons, the exact same way a person born in France does naturally. Notice further, our Bibles read in verses 9 through 10, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds God has done. This is the source of the people's confusion. The reason for this confusion is the fact that, as I said, depending on how you count, there are either 13 different people groups or 17 people groups all speaking their own language by matter of fact. Now, these poor handful of illiterate disciples, recognized as coming from the backward Galilee, emerge from obscurity into the open. This gives testimony with irresistible force in at least 13 different languages they have not learned. I personally believe the total is 17 languages. Regardless, no matter who, in this Bible passage you count, this is clearly a miracle. For some, 
understanding of just what was represented by these languages, we need to understand a little biblical history. To show the surprising extent and power of this miracle, Luke enumerates the different nations that were represented then at Jerusalem. In this way, the number of languages which the apostles spoke and the extent of the miracle can be ascertained. The enumeration of these nations begins at the east and proceeds to the west. Parthians means those Jews or proselytes who dwelt in Parthi. The country was a part of Persia and was situated between the Persian Gulf and the Tigris on the west and the river Indus on the east. To the south, it was bounded by the desert of Karamania and it had Media on the north. Their empire lasted about 400 years and they were much distinguished for their manner of fighting. They usually fought on horseback and when appearing to retreat, discharged their arrows with great execution behind them. They were a part of the vast Scythian horde of Asia, and disputed the empire of the east with the Romans. The language spoken there was that of Persia, and, in ancient writers, Parthus and Persia often mean the same country. Medes inhabitants of Media. This country was situated north of Parthus and south of the Caspian Sea. It was about the size of Spain and was one of the richest parts of Asia. In the scriptures, it is called Made. The Medes were often mentioned, frequently in connection with the Persians, with whom they were often connected under the same government. The language spoken was also that of Persia. In this whole region, many Jews remained after the Babylon captivity, who chose not to return with their brethren to the land of their fathers. From the descendants of these probably were those who were now assembled from those places at Jerusalem. Elamites. Elam is often mentioned in the Old Testament. The nation was descended from Elam, the son of Shem. It is mentioned as being an alliance with Aksnaphral, the king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, and Tidal, king of nations. Of these nations in alliance, Chedorlomar, king of Elam, was the chief. They are mentioned as a part of the Persian Empire, and Daniel is said to have resided at Sheshan, which is the province of Alam. The Greeks and Romans gave to this country the name of Elamaeus. It is now called Kassistan. It was bounded by Persia on the east, by Media on the north, by Babylonia on the west and by the Persian Gulf on the south. The Elamites were a warlike people and celebrated for the use of the bow. The language of this people was, of course, the Persian. Its capital, Shashan, called by the Greeks Susa, 
was much celebrated. It is said to have been 15 miles in circumference and was adorned with the celebrated palace of Hasusurus. The inhabitants still pretend to show there the tomb of the prophet Daniel. Mesopotamia. This name, which is Greek, signifies between the rivers, that is, the region lying between the rivers Euphrates and Tigris. In Hebrew, it was called Aram Naharium, that is, Aram or Syria of the two rivers. The region, known as Mesopotamia, extended between the two rivers from their sources to Babylon on the south. It had on the north Armenia, on the west Syria, on the east Persia, and on the south Babylonia. It was an extensive, level, and fertile country. The language spoken here was probably the Syriac, with perhaps a mixture of the Chaldee. In Judea, this expression has greatly perplexed commentators. It has been thought difficult to see why Judea should be mentioned, as if it were a matter of surprise that they could speak in this language. Some have supposed an error in the manuscripts and have proposed to read Armenia or India or Lydia or Edumia, etc. But all this has been without any authority. Others have supposed that the language of Galilee was so different from that of the other parts of Judea as to render it remarkable that they could speak that dialect. But this is an idle supposition. This is one of the many instances in which commentators have perplexed themselves to very little purpose. Luke recorded this as any other historian would have done. In running over the languages which they spoke, he enumerated this as a matter of course, not that it was remarkable simply that they should speak the language of Judea, but that they should speak so many, meaning about the same by it as if he had said they spoke every language in the world. Just as if a similar miracle were to occur at this time among an assembly of native Englishmen and foreigners. In describing it, nothing would be more natural than to say they spoke French and German and Spanish and English and Italian, etc. In this, there would be nothing remarkable except that they spoke so many languages. Cappadocia. This was a region of Asia Minor and was bounded on the east by Armenia, on the north by Pontus and the Euxine Sea, west by Lyconia, and south by Cilicia. The language which was spoken here is not currently known. It was probably, however, a mixed dialect made up of Greek and Syriac, perhaps the same as their neighbors, the Lyconians. This place was formerly celebrated for iniquity and is mentioned in Greek writers as one of the three 
eminently wicked places whose name began with C. The others were Crete and Cilicia. After this conversion to the Christian religion, however, it produced many eminent men, among whom were Gregory Nyssen and Basil the Great. It was one of the places to which Peter directed an epistle. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. In Pontus, this was another province of Asia Minor, and was situated north of Cappadocia, and was bounded west by Paphlagonia. Pontus and Cappadocia, under the Romans, constituted one province. This was one of the places to which the Apostle Peter directed his epistle. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. This was the birthplace of Aquilia, one of the companions of Paul. And Asia, Pontus, and Cappadocia, etc., were parts of Asia. But the word Asia is doubtless used here to denote the regions or provinces west of these, which are not particularly enumerated. Thus it is used. The capital of this region was Ephesus. This region was frequently called Ionia, and was afterwards the seat of the seven churches in Asia. Reference, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. Again, I must apologize for pronunciation. Many of these words are not in my English ability to speak, and I have done the best I possibly can. Again, my apologies. It is not my intent to offend anyone. I just do not have the ability to say some of these names. So there you have it. The full populist breakdown of the many peoples that were in Jerusalem at the time of this language gifting of the Holy Spirit. It clearly demonstrates that the men of Galilee, in fact, spoke many languages because of their gifting by the Holy Spirit. This is regardless of those found in Acts chapter 2, verse 13, which reads, But others jeered at the speakers, saying, They are drunk on new wine. As you can see, like today, not everyone believes this kind of gifting is possible by the Holy Spirit imparting it to God's people. Notice verse 12 from that statement. All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? Notice further, the languages spoken by the apostles could not have been less than seven or eight, besides different dialects of the same languages. It is not certain that the Jews present from the foreign nations spoke those languages perfectly, but they had doubtless so used them as to make them the common tongue in which they conversed. No miracle could be more decided than this. There was no way in which the apostles could impose on them and make them suppose they spoke foreign languages, if they really did not, for these foreigners were a 
abundantly able to determine that. It may be remarked that this miracle had most important effects besides that witnessed on the day of Pentecost. The gospel would be carried by those who were converted to all these places, and they would be prepared for the labors of the apostles there. Accordingly, most of these places became afterwards celebrated by the establishment of Christian churches and the conversion of great multitudes to the Christian faith. From Barnes' New Testament Notes We noted two items from this commentary passage. 1. No miracle could be more decided than this. This means the results were clearly and easily seen by all. 2. There was no way in which the apostle could impose on them and make them suppose they spoke foreign languages if they really did not. For these foreigners were abundantly able to determine that. Simply put, in modern speak, there really was no way the men of Galilee could fake this event because they clearly would have been caught in the act of faking it by the many people who heard them speak. Further, this miracle had most important effects besides that witnessed on the day of Pentecost. The gospel would be carried by those who were converted to all these places, and the way would be prepared for the labors of the apostles there. Accordingly, most of these places became afterwards celebrated by the establishment of Christian churches and the conversion of great multitudes to the Christian faith. There it is. This is still how we witness today. Many can say that things are different now and new ways need to be employed in order to get God's word of saving grace to people. To some degree, that may be true. However, we are not talking about stopping the act of witnessing to others. It is the mere means by which we witness to others. While some will be offended by our witness, as noted by people in Acts chapter 2.13, not all people will be. We see this also noted in the scripture verses above Acts chapter 2.13. So where is God's church people today? Why are they not witnessing to people today? If someone is offended by your witnessing to them, simply apologize to them and move on. I have seen Christians lose their status among the unsaved by being too insistent that someone needs to be saved by Christ. Yes, they do. However, offending these people is no way to get them saved in Christ. They will only learn to dislike you and even hate you, as I have seen in many cases, and this makes matters worse than better. So, again, if someone does not want to hear your witness to them, 
Move on to someone else so you do not offend them. Remember what Scripture says. What is Apollos, really? Or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, and each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants counts for anything, nor the one who waters, but God who causes the growth. From 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. As you can see, many people are like plants. One plants, another waters, but God causes the growth. Wherein is our reasoning for being of a humble attitude and spirit? For we do not count in the ways we think we do. Each saved person is not another notch in our belt, so we have bragging rights. Why? Neither the one who plants counts for anything, nor the one who waters, but God who causes the growth. You might say, if I do not count for anything, why should I witness? To answer that question, it is not about who counts or does not, it is about doing what we have been called to do. Witness. Next week, we will examine in our next episode titled, The Fellowship of the Early Believers, Part 1. Do believers fellowship today? Is that fellowship conditional on any level? Should fellowship be conditional for any reason? Join us next week to start finding the answers to these questions and more. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction about us, who we are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. 
If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites, so you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.